Hi. Oh, hi there. I am Ricardo Deacon. I am Orlovinus. And this is The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie that the other person hasn't seen. We watch it separately and we meet to discuss it. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. This week's movie was chosen by Orla. Yes. It is a movie. <laughs> a movie. Called Asphalt Jungle from 1950. A picture. The motion picture. picture. (laughs) Yeah, from MGM Studios. Yes. Brought to you by the Criterion Collection. It is uh, from 1950. The synopsis is recently released from prison. Dix Handley concords a plan to see. Wait, this is so wrong. Okay. uh, Oh, yes. Is it really bad? Yeah. Well, like, it's just plot wise is wrong because Dix didn't just come Dix out of prison and came Dix up with the plan <laughs> Dix doesn't do either of those things recently released <clears throat> he's from a hooligan this is a lie by the way recently released from prison not Dix <laughs> concords a plan to steal one million in jewels Dix gathers a team of small time crooks including a safe cracker is it a million? well like they say that it's a, just the jewels is half a million or something or could come to a million like the figures go up and down uh, yeah the <laughs> they're not uh, too stickler for detail in a way <laughs> so uh, neither is the synopsis so we don't believe anything that this says or indeed anything we say dick scatters a team of small-time crooks he doesn't but fine <laughs> including a safe cracker and the lawyer and the heist is a success until a stray bullet kills one of the men as they scramble to pick up the pieces after the the theft, the men let their greed get the best of them while entangling themselves in the webs of deceit, treachery, and murder. 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 <clears throat> very good. I mean, not very good, but, you know, it was a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Full of inconsistencies, much like life. Yeah, the film was directed by John Huston, second movie that we've done of him. Was there a John Huston movie we did? Fat City. Oh my god, I didn't put that together at all. That's when we were talking about Asphalt Jungle. So he, yes. Yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, produced by Arthur Hornblow Jr. <laughs> Screenplay by Ben Maddow and John Houston. Based on the Asphalt Jungle by W.R. Burnett. Starring Sterling Hayden, Louis Calhern, Jean Hagen, James Whitmore, Sam Jaffe and Jean McIntyre. Music by Miklos Rocha. Cinematography by Harold Rosson. And edited by George Bumler. Oh, I feel like today is going to be loose. Loose <clears throat> and fast. <laughs> but still an hour because <laughs> that's how radio works. <laughs> so, we wouldn't know anything about yeah. that. <laughs> so Orla, why did you pick The Asphalt Jungle? Because we haven't had a heist in ages. Uh, yeah, I love a good heist uh, almost as much as I love procedurals. Uh, and it's actually, I read today, I didn't realize, uh, this is actually, it's based on a book. Um, and in the book, whenever they adapted it into a screenplay, the book was more focused on... To a screenplay? The... No, screenplay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that Pratsky's going to your head. Um, <clears throat> uh, whenever they adapted it into a screenplay, they changed the perspective of the characters so in the original book that was from the more from the perspective of law enforcement and they changed it to be from the perspective of the actual criminals themselves which i think is kind of interesting uh yeah like there's obviously something about like a well crafted crime a well crafted heist uh expertly executed you know a la oceans 11 
uh, <laughs> obviously fantastic to watch tension, like the plan unfolding. And we've done a number of these movies, um, like, you know, The Circle Rouge, Rififi, uh, Le Trou, uh, Le Trou to a certain extent, but it being obviously like, you know, a breakout rather than an actual heist, let's say, but similar, similar uh, themes. And the kind of, especially with like Le Circle Rouge and Rififi, or like, the, like obviously they're both French as well. There's a certain level of sophistication and coolness to the criminals. Um, this is kind of, I feel like this is like the American piece of the puzzle to all those movies that we've covered. <clears throat> like the kind of the, from the American perspective of like a fallen city and like it's a perspective that's, you know, considerably more urban as well, I think, and like, underground like it's called jungle for a reason um like the way the city the unnamed city is um explored we're never really above ground we're never in daylight it's all very grimy and sad (laughs) um and obviously dealing with criminals that are significantly less sophisticated um like they are undone by a variety of different things like be it greed desperation general ineptitude um like it's a it's a bleak scene like you you can see how the characters like they they need the money like not just for like the big score or the addiction to uh the addiction to the heist itself of just like needing to do one more job need to come back for one more job um they need as a mode of escape not just like escape from bankruptcy or escape from but escape from the place itself um and i think the way that he captures this sort of unnamed city you know it's funny i didn't think about that scene at all it's so funny because it's not like a million miles away of how he deals with scranton isn't it scranton in fat city it's, uh, it's California. No, no, it's uh, to 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 just continue. I'll, it's I'll go. Yeah, it's, um, it's an, another like small. Uh, no, obviously not middle. Scranton is no. where like uh, <laughs> the, the office takes place. <laughs> it's uh, obviously not a. Um, it's obviously that's obviously not the Midwest. This is just for like unnamed Midwest town. Um, but yeah, I just I really like how like easily they're drawn into the plot of how like it's all put together how they're kind of going out like you know trying to find these characters that really like your man <laughs> um stockton stockton sorry actually scranton is in the midwest that's yeah, where the so, office takes place yeah that's why i was getting confused um <laughs> yeah but uh i i love a good noir um i love how dark this is as well um like just so much of this is taking place at night and tunnels and darkened rooms everything is just grimy and sweaty i love like, like there's a great line <laughs> money makes me sweat um <laughs> um i love like the the locate the sort of the infrequent locations as well of like um dix's flat of um oh, i've forgotten the name of his friend the driver Gus. Gus. I was like, Lars? No, Gus. <laughs> um, I love his... Did you recognize uh, the guy that plays Gus? Who's Gus? The, no, I know, but The who... driver, yeah. Who plays He's uh, James Whitmore. He's Brooks in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, no. I didn't pick up on that at all. Jesus, how old is he in the Shawshank Redemption? Fucking all old. Oh, my God. <laughs> all the old... No, see, I haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption in fifteen years, maybe. Like, You're missing out. It's <laughs> um, funny because it's always those those films where people are like, "Oh, it's my favorite film," and I'm always kind of like, "Oh, okay," but I haven't seen it in so long. Like, um, 
hence why I did not recognize him. But uh, I love his shop. I love the whole thing with the cat. Um, I just everything is everything is just so grimy and depressing, and it's just it's just like I'm gonna say enjoyable because obviously it's quite dark and bleak and. But there's something incredibly like everything is like the characters are all very tinged with a certain level of like desperation and sadness, and there's something very fatalistic about it. Um, like I think so. Like I, I read the script. I just the reason why I love noir is like the language of it. Like it's all hooligans and rumbles, and you know, and you could I could listen to that all day. I just like there's no, I love it. You gotta play the horses smart. Um, like there's something as well where he's like. He says something about left-handed pitchers that I can't remember. Now, it's just oh, like, there's always a screw loose in the left. <laughs> something wrong in their heads, it's like so the same rude. as. Um, yeah, I really I think Dix is kind of the most interesting thing about the film. Um, him in a way, he's kind of the most tragic character. Um, and I just I love his relationship with with Gus and the kind of like odd sort of like bromance that they have and like the trust that he has and how like the whole thing about owing money and then being like oh no i don't want to owe money to him oh it's okay for you to owe money to me yeah <laughs> yeah like, it's the, the respect and like but i love that as well whenever they're um it's the respect of like clearly they've been friends for a very long time of like two people who are just completely down and out but kind of the loyalty that there is like i love um whenever they're uh there after the alarm starts going off after he blows the safe and he's like looking out and your man's like um uh, i can't remember how he has actually says it but he's like um you know oh, will gus stay or will gus hold i think he says yeah and uh he's like yeah of course you can trust gus it's like he knows that gus is still there and then whenever they come out there he is it's like the it's and it's not even done through that many scenes it's like just the way they interact with each other and everything like i just like dix is fantastic um i think the performance is really good like his face like there's that one particular monologue that he gives to doll whenever he's talking about um like the horses and going back the cult yeah yeah but it's all like he has this thing that like what's the actor um the 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 plays dix yeah sterling hayden yeah he has this thing with his like he has a really interesting brow. And I was thinking about, um, there's a modern actor who has this as well. I don't know if it's Michael Shannon, maybe. But it's, it, it, he has these, like, just slight movements of his brow. And, yeah. like, his eyes are so vivid. And, like, the way he tells her that story and everything. And then, like, at the, like he's just, he has the look of a tragic, yeah. tragic figure. But you kind of understand why people like are drawn to him or he ends up in this plot why your man whenever he sees him he's like no i see something in that guy because like in the end dick sort of stands by him he's you know he's in the end more trustworthy than the fucking backer that they go to get the money off yeah um but yeah i just oh i love his face his face is so great and he has a really like it's such a 1950s voice yeah. as well like that's why i i love films like this because it's just it's such a particular time in cinema the language the way they speak it's like i love noir so much uh obviously it's kind of have you read any uh shit what's his raymond chandler uh i think did i read the big sleep i don't think so like they're great books like he's one of the very influential on cinema for a reason yeah like uh he's a visual writer but as well like uh, uh, the the his prose drips with menace uh, it's amazing like i like uh, that line that's very good there's a, a so many parts of uh great lines like uh, my brother was obsessed with one that i was like 
some boxer the like bouncer that used to be a boxer and like uh the the main character punches him and your man is like he was sitting there questioning everything of his life uh, <laughs> as he like from the bottom but like uh, i always remember it's like the night was dark with something wait the streets were dark, were dark, were pitch black with something besides the night. It's something like that. Like, yeah. it's like he's just, mm, you just go and you can taste yeah. the the influence in as well. Like, every, like this, like all these writers as well would be doing like the Chandler thing, you know? Like, yeah. there's a reason that even like his kiss, bang, bang is like oh, hugely. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, like, the the legacy of this film as well, even on Melville as well, um, I think, because obviously, like, this is 1950, and not that this is, like, the first ever heist movie or anything, but um, I just, like, I, I, (laughs) there's something wonderful about the kind of professionalism of them as well, of, despite the fact that they are not entirely sophisticated criminals, that this is ultimately a very big-time job for people who are very small-time. I just love watching that guy cracking that same. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's the same thing of like in the true, whatever they're going through the, you know, it's, 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 it's always going to be enjoyable to watch something like that. But I love, um, um, what's his name? The professor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> professor. <laughs> what's I going to call him there? The German. I'm so tired. Um, <laughs> the professor's like watching him as well. And you can see, and just as, just, like, as he's just going in, he kind of slowly starts to walk towards him just to like observe what he's doing. Because it's like the professionalism of this guy. He's just like lives in this like tenement with just his wife and his child. And you know how easily this guy is drawn back into this. And he, But the skill that he has... But even that you think of like, oh, you know, Dix, he's just a hooligan. But there's like a certain purpose that why Dix is there, the purpose that he serves. Um, and like, I just, <laughs> just the scene whenever your man gets shot as well. Um, obviously very sad because you're, all you're thinking is that the man is, you know, this, has his wife at home with his baby and everything. But it's just the, the, the like lack of control of the situation of just like the gun going off and everything. And it's just like, oh no. And even though like you, you know something is going to go wrong because this whole thing is tinged with like tragedy and failure from the get go. Like everyone is trying to like front something of like, you know, Dick's being the hooligan, him being like, you know, oh, I don't care about anything. Like, um, like uh, of the professor being like, you know, I'm coming back for this job. I am so expert at everything. Like, you know, I know like exactly how to execute this. I've been planning this for years, you know, but behind it all, he trusts completely the wrong person. And then obviously the lawyer who's, <laughs> I love that. His, his business associate guy as well is fucking great. Uh, it's just the way he's kind of sitting there kind of watching him and he's just looking at it and you like, you're just looking at it. You're, that, you're never getting away with a double cross. You're never getting yeah. away with it. Like it's ridiculous. Your man's just sitting there and you can see the dollar bills in his eyes. And it's just, it's just this like palpable desperation of everyone. And like, it's, it's just something really <laughs> oddly like enjoyable about like how grimy this film is because none of them are really particularly bad people or yeah. bad characters. But at the same time, there's nothing glamorous about anything that they're doing. And there's something like you find a way into the characters, I think, through that, because, you know, it's not as much as I fucking love Ocean's Eleven. Uh, and I really, really do. It is in, like the influence of all the things that you see in that movie, not just the like sheer Soder- Soderberginess of that film. But um, 
Yeah, um, obviously... Ocean's Eleven is more inspired by Seven Samurai than any other heist movie. Yeah, well, the, like, the pretty, it's like as much about putting together the team as anything else. But, um, I, you know, it's the, the smoothness of those characters and the, the, yeah. the feeling of that, obviously they're going to win, obviously they're going to get away. And then that was all tainted by making like two more movies, but we don't talk about that. Well, the um, second one is quite fun the third one is just too close to the first one but they have the whole, whole weird thing of like you shook Sinatra's <gasps> hand which is so weird the whole thing of like Julia Roberts playing herself almost, yeah yeah that's, but like yeah it's no. very odd but, but at the same right. time like, I do think the ending of the first Ocean's Eleven is one of the most perfect things ever whenever they just drive off and the two guys just follow them it's yeah. so good <laughs> uh, I'm not sure these belong to me uh, yeah, I have to flag one particular thing, which is funny after having done last week and we had such great female characters. And it's funny how this, this was, I think, Barla Monroe's first yeah. speaking role, I think. Uh, and it's funny to watch someone in such like the very infancy of their career and you see what, you know, like the very, it's kind of beautiful in a way because you see immediately what she had. It's like, she's so young there as well. And it's just, it's kind of perfect. But at the same time, the female characters are not fantastic. Um, <laughs> to, you know, put it relatively mildly, uh, doll being an improvement on um, Marlon Monroe's per character. But uh, yeah, it, it's and just... And the wife also. Yeah, the poor suffering wife. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of depressing. Um, at the same time, a film very much of its era, also very much of its genre in a certain way. Um, but yeah, I just I find this film really kind of. This is not like it's long enough. It's not. It's about two hours, yeah. I think, isn't it? Yeah, but um, I just I I find it oddly like <laughs> enjoyable for something that ends in such a like, although not predictable but although like it's kind of it ends exactly how you imagine it does like the end of the circle rouge whenever you know you know they're gonna die it's like it's but doesn't at the same time like when you get to the end you're not kind of like disappointed by that because you're like yes it all came full circle in this the jungle that they can only escape in death so uh without further ado Ricardo. right few side notes but i think interesting side notes okay all right go ahead uh one uh i have to say that I, it's not only the the role but i'll get to it but i think that marlon like i love marlon Monroe. yeah but she's terrible at this movie yeah. i don't think that not it, a whole lot of it's just the, day, really. the look yeah and uh, there's a review contemporaneous Ooh, uh, review that where? it ends with the uh, from uh photo play it was <laughs> called the magazine and uh quite a rave review Oswald Jungle but it ends with and there's a beautiful blonde too name of Marley Monroe who plays Calhoun's girlfriend and makes the f- most of her footage <laughs> that's a nice way to put it yeah like uh, <laughs> she's basically there to be just candy it's very uncomfortable but also like her performance is terrible like it's, as all, in, it's all it's, bad it's, it's all everything bad. that like it's almost like a caricature of what she does later on in her career yeah it's everything that is like something on the she surface. also caricatured in, like, yeah something like it hot and stuff yeah like. but like uh, but even before having the the know-how kind of thing it's yeah. kind of like a caricature but without like self-awareness that it's a caricature and it makes it terrible the other thing that is like uh, interesting i didn't mention documentary last week about uh that spielberg did like executive produce called uh, five came back that it was about the 
Hollywood directors that went to uh, oh, the war. Yeah. And John Huston was one of those directors. Yeah. Like he, uh, we, was, we talked about this, I think, when we t- when we were doing Fat Sadie, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like veterans. And-, and that's the thing is that like uh, I had forgot to mention, but also since we were talking about PTSD and stuff like that last week, the, mm. uh, a film that he did in 1946 called uh, Let the Light In, that it was about uh, PTSD in veterans. It was actually censored by the army for 30 years. And, uh, what? Like, uh, he actually recorded and documented all the, like, uh, uh, psychic... Uh, psychological. Psychic, psychological ward. Maybe he was also psychic. We yeah. don't know. <laughs> but, like, uh, he, uh, he also did other documentaries, much like uh, William Wyler mm. about fighting soldiers. Like, uh, he did a very good documentary about the Andalusian campaign and one about the Italian campaign as well. Uh, like, uh, which, ironically, he... Uh, that's why they started hiring him more for action pictures afterwards. Yeah. Like the because he faked the footage and people didn't notice. <laughs> and then they came out afterwards. But like that's one the other one is Sterling Hayden, who I've loved since I was about yay high because like he's fucking Colonel uh, General Jack D. Ripper and uh and uh Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. Uh you know Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, but like not well enough to recognize him in that. Okay, <laughs> he's the he's the general that goes crazy and sends all the bombers over. He's like, they're trying to take our bodily fluids, our precious bodily fluids. <laughs> you tensed up as you did that there. Uh, together. But he's also uh he also plays the police chief in The Godfather. Like he's really old. He's the one that got shot in the face by Al Pacino Jesus. in the restaurant. I have seen his this guy and so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sterling Hayden, this guy. That's like, so uh, funny. ironically, I mentioned that I had seen this movie uh, yeah. during Fat City, but I actually was getting confused with the killing, which is the the the. This, the... this is why, because I remember, I remember, I, was like, I remember us talking about this, and I asked you, and you were like, "No," and I was like, "Are you sure?" I was like, "Yeah, like I think it, perhaps it's because I had read so much about Asphalt Jungle I think we, as well." Like, I the think there year. was another movie when. We talked about this as well. Um, I Rafifi. It was Rafifi. Yeah. Yes. There we go. And um, I, I actually think that it was a combination of having it confused with the killing, but also perhaps similarly to you and McCabe and Mrs. Miller that you've read so much about it. Yeah. That it. Uh, that, yeah. That uh, you start to feel like you've seen it. Seen it. Yeah. Uh, Sterling Hayden another thing that is interesting that uh, I don't know how somebody has not done a biopic about Sterling Hayden mm. because Sterling great name first of all yes great name uh, first of all he was a fishing boat captain of like New England somewhere and he became a Hollywood star because uh, somebody went and took a picture of him in like uh, for Holding the festival for the festival like he was 22 years old and he was already a fishing boat captain like uh, <laughs> like hired as nails guy and uh, they offered him like they took a picture of him and then the, somebody in Paramount saw the picture and went he's the most handsome man we've ever seen <laughs> he's very handsome. so they took him for a screen test and they put him on a contract for $250 a week. So he just drove his mom and himself to LA. And he's like, I didn't even know. I was just trying to get five grand so I could buy a schooner. <laughs> Which is very similar to the plot of this movie. And then, I just want to go home. <laughs> and then he he started like uh, getting uh, more roles. Then he joined the army yeah. to go to World War II. He 
uh, broke his leg during training, so he got discharged. He w uh, tried to do like other stuff during the war. He didn't want to act during the war, and then like he said, "Oh fuck this!" So he created a, a pseudonym called John Hamilton, <laughs> and. Uh, joined the marines and while being in the marines he got pulled out and became part of the oss the cia what? and uh, he ran uh, guns and everything uh, behind enemy lines in yugoslavia and he was part of the american force that tried to overthrow the fascist regime in croatia and after that he uh, created by himself a network to try to rescue down uh, down pilots behind enemy lines uh, he also destroyed a few bridges in Italy behind enemy lines before the Americans came over kind of thing. And then he went back to the United States and made this movie. Not only that, it's like he became uh, uh, he, because he met a lot of communist partisans in Yugoslavia. Mm. He became a member of the uh, Communist Party in America and he got, got involved in the whole. He didn't get blacklisted because he told names, but because he was a spy, oh. he said that he told names of people that he already knew they had. Oh. So he got away with it, but like at the same time, didn't he throw anybody under the bus. His autobiography, he says that it, like he never forgave himself for mm. doing it, even though be, because they gave the idea that it was okay to do it, even though like he he didn't name anything that wouldn't happen. Other people didn't yeah. know that, yeah. and also like saying that it was like misinformed idea, like he sided with the committee kind of thing. Mm. So it's uh, uh, and it's interesting because John Huston gave him this. A movie in John Huston famously was uh, part of the First Amendment coalition of filmmakers that were not communists, but they were completely uh, against the McCarthy trials and stuff. So like, mm. it, there's no conflict there. So I thought that would be like an interesting that, side note. The kind of thing. Seriously though, how like you could make a mini series of that guy's life? Yeah, there was a guy that was like a friend of his who's a soldier, so that was meant to. Uh, write a book about his life but the the book never got made mm. or written or whatever but like i think that it's like for a hollywood film like how <laughs> wow. and then, then it's like when his career starts like this movie is for his major role yeah like he had like side roles kind of playing the brothers or whatever like a few westerns and whatnot because sterling hayden was made to be in westerns yes it's the face the face and the voice but coming back to the movie itself and uh like, I think that, um, like, obviously I didn't hate it because it is, like... Uh, After that incredibly, like, overwrought opening there. Like, <laughs> no, like obviously it, it is a good movie and I, I do like John Huston as a filmmaker, but I, I think it's perhaps uh, because crime thrillers in particular, like, heist movies follow a very... Uh, both in structure but also in character is always very similar. Is when I believe if I had watched this before watching Rafifi or Le Circle Rouge or mm. I did worry about that. <laughs> so many other greats that it doesn't like it somewhere falls in the middle that it doesn't go into like the Rafifi uh, school of being completely obsessed with the methodology of the mm. heist. Or it doesn't go to something like The Seven Samurai or uh, Lester Corrige that is more focused in character itself. It's trying to do both. And somehow, like with a movie that is about two hours long, uh, I didn't feel that it did either, really. Like, as well as it could have. Mm. I don't know where... 
it perhaps is that it chooses to focus on too many characters or so because there's a lot of character development quote unquote mm. but they like with the exception of sterling hayden uh, everybody else feels like uh, a, an archetype which it helps like even in when movies of big casts uh, are there because it does a lot of the heavy lifting for you it's not that big though yeah but it's not as big but it tries to like there for one there's too much time with emmerich like i think uh the, yeah I, the, I yeah i think i would rather more i take more gus and and uh yeah. time over that or like even the planning for the crime or like even the part for example the uh compared to rififi the when the professor goes so much for chance or whatever but you never know the exact plans or how long the plan was taken mm. or the plan is slightly too simple as mm. well you know the i i don't know it's kind of like uh if there were more steps and everything worked until a gun fired but there's yeah. like if you leave it so much into chance that you're not like if he had come in for example and he already had pinpointed the guys yeah you know that it's like this is my crew they don't know it yet i just need like uh your man, whatever Cody or, or <laughs> Cody, fucking could I? He looks like Doug Stamper from uh, House of Cards oh so God. much. I was literally watching House of Cards the other day. <laughs> but like, he looks like the image of Doug Stamper. Like, what's the actor called though? Um, he has an Irish name. Uh, uh like Gallagher or something. The guy that plays Doug Stamper. Yeah. But that's no, the, he's that's in, his name. He's in loads of things, though. He's really good. Yeah, like he—he's great. Like he's by far the best thing in the House of Cards after a while. Like because Robin oh. Wright was the best thing for the first two seasons, but yeah. then it's like yeah, everything like the wheels came so off like very you, fast. Like, yeah, and like once it's like, oh no, the journalists will never unravel the crime. I was like, well, I don't care then. <laughs> like. Oh, they're in the White House now. Oh, great. Where can they go now? The 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 thing with this though, like for example, like I really like the the parts with Gus and but like even the parts with the city itself. Yeah. I prefer. How can I put it? Doesn't feel enough of before and after kind of thing, you know? Like they they didn't have anything to lose either. Besides the guy that has the kid, but like I didn't really give a shit about him to be honest. Really? Like. I, I think that even the professor, I think that if I think that Lou, ah, what's his name? The guy that plays Emmerich is a great actor. I can't, like I've seen him in loads of other he movies. Has, yeah, he has that face. Uh, but uh, he's great. So I, even though I thought that his part were like it, it was too long, let's say. I do kind of yeah, I do agree with you. With that. Uh, but I did enjoy it per se because he like he's memorable and the the guy that plays the private detective i liked him because for example is that he was the only one that did something that I, like it's kind of interesting beside the the narrative of how the characters are done yeah because he's the guy that goes like oh i won't cross any lines to collect the debt and then as soon as it's like it's 500 grand it's like i'll do anything <laughs> you know like it's kind of that he has this like very strict moral code that like, he's very easily swayed <laughs> off when like the the uh, the when the risk and reward ratio is high enough yeah. he'll do whatever but until that point he didn't need to do the risk and reward i think part of it as well is the realization the the 
uh, Emmerich is broke the way the uh, <laughs> was, he can't be broke. Yeah, oh, if he's broke, I wish I was broke. Uh, the way the I kids. think, like, I think I agree with you that there's a bit too much Emmerich, and I think the bit with his wife and everything is, yeah, is yeah. just totally pointless. And then Marlon Monroe as well, because like my favorite scene with him is whenever um, uh, they come to like no, it's the before they come to arrest him, and he they it's like you know oh, you know oh, we find your your associate dead, and it's the way he kind of just turns and he's just like couldn't possibly be involved yeah it's so good I think it's even that and even that scene whenever um they come to like arrest him and it's it's obviously significantly weakened by marlon monroe's performance yeah but um in fact it's like this is your moment marlon don't fuck it up um <laughs> like, it's just oh god it's... is it you can almost feel john houston just getting distracted <laughs> by her beauty forgetting to direct because like... um yeah it's just but so I, funny because you forget she's in the movie yeah and then they bring her in for that big scene and you're like you don't care about that at all it's like it's all about him like because he's just so great uh and even like the detectives i love the was the complete and utter word weariness of the like they're just like oh jesus see but like just get in the back of the van <laughs> like, but the, that's the thing is that like the the part with the policeman whatever like it, it reminded me of the departed in a way okay okay and this is what i'm gonna get at is that the departed works better than inferno affairs because it creates the, the, the conflicting world better. As in, like, they're not... This movie, in a way, it, it's more real than The Departed. Yeah. Okay? Uh, like, the, the way, the, the, the world building that it does. But it is, if you're going to do a movie, this is the thing. If you're going to do a movie this. where, like, you're in a little fucking town in the middle of nowhere, okay? You can straight away, within two seconds, get a, dry, a getaway driver... A hooligan and a safe cracker, and like to my this is something that I love. That I love criminals, but this is what I love about movies. It's like how can safe crackers exist? (laughs) How do you become a safe cracker? You know what I mean? Like, but you're like Charlize Theron in uh, in that what do you call it? The Italian Job. Yeah, (laughs) I love that movie. But Um, (laughs) but I think is that like part of it is do it like the Italian Job. Part of it is, I don't know, like it felt not too by numbers, but at the same time, it felt too much like I could see the clock working. Because you've seen all the clocks that came afterwards. Yeah. And the, and the thing. Yeah, what I was thinking of this, I was like, no, it's not French. It's always. The same but, it, the, but that's the thing is that at least the French are like razzle dazzling yeah, you know, to distraction. That's what I like about this because although I love the Circle Rouge so much, it's like, what I like about this is that there is no facade. It's like, well, the the characters have facade, but it's so easy to see behind it because yeah, they, but, are, they are missing that. Yeah, but if you compare this to like another John Houston movie, The Maltese, falcon yeah like maltese falcon makes an awful less sense than this movie like the maltese falcon makes absolutely no sense as a movie Uh, i always get the maltese falcon and double indemnity confused in my head for some reason like uh i i was never a big fan of barbara stanswick's and her hair i could never go past her hair but um but like Maltese Falcon makes no sense. Is that the one where at the start he's talking to his boss and he's recording the thing for his boss, or is that double indemnity? That's double indemnity. Okay, I'm confused. Maltese Falcon is doing Humphrey Bogart. Oh. Okay, the uh, that I remember the uh, it was a Maltese Falcon, but also like going back to Raymond Chandler, the uh, whoever was directing the 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 Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Uh, uh, whoever was writing it. Uh, Whoever uh, was directing it. Whoever was writing the, the screenplay uh, 
contacted Raymond Chandler saying, I'm in an impasse here in the screenplay. Uh, can you like briefly summarize what The Big Sleep is about? Yeah. And Raymond Chandler goes, I don't fucking know. <laughs> you figure it out. The darkness just comes out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. But like, is that I, I think this movie, in a way, like, even though I love Sterling Hayden, yeah. I think it requires a Humphrey Bogart. As in that somebody that controls the screen. I think that started Hayden. Like if the movie was. Mm. How can I put it? It's hard. You're it's, looking for star power. Not, yeah. Because of not, the movie not that in it the way, is. Not in the way of like. you know, Oh you just cast them. Because they're a draw. As in yeah. someone that like. That like actually has that presence because don't get me wrong, I like Sterling Hayden, uh, uh, and if you see what he does with Kubrick and stuff, I don't know what that I, does though to but, the idea that they're all so it's like ground level. Yeah, but uh, you know, I. But I think it's that the movie. You need to okay. I would buy it if, because I know what you mean of someone who kind of steers it to a certain extent, um, but it has to be someone, Humphrey Bogart maybe someone who's able you're able to like not only is magnetic but also that you're able to believe within the world maybe somebody so, like a, a henry fonda kind of character yeah. that it could be like kind of somebody that used to be good and like honest and became the hooligan like yeah. in the, the way like casting somebody against type that way like maybe a paul newman a young paul newman would have yeah. been a, a a good choice i think that but not only there like maybe like like I like James Whitmore as well, like as Gus, but he d- doesn't get an awful lot mm. to do in the movie. And the guy that yeah, I just want more, I just want more Gus in next time. And then the guy that gets killed first, the the safe cracker, he comes out of central casting as like Italian man number, like you know, Italian American <laughs> man number fifty, <laughs> like as in that. It's not such a bad thing though. Yeah, it's not such a bad thing. His performance is not particularly bad, but I I think that the problem I have with this movie is that even though moment by moment I had no issues with it, mm. it's very hard to describe what it, it's more that. It, at no point I was bored or at no point I was pissed off with the movie and no point I was disappointed with the movie watching it but after watching it there was no moment that I went like wow yeah like even like shot composition wise like it's great and stuff but even in the collection with edits and stuff like like I think the the most memorable shot is like hilarious them like uh, shimming under the the invisible laser you know oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like they do it like 10 times and it, like I, I couldn't stop giggling i just love the business like nature of it well, yeah. as well like that's what i like about this is that it doesn't have the same pent up like there's something so like work a day about it that i quite enjoy because <laughs> what i like about this is that it feels different to so many of the other heist movies because yeah, but I, and, and i don't know i think maybe the what i like about it the fact that it is kind of straddling those two things is sort of why you don't like it but like so but if so, they wanted to do it like the workman stuff yeah. that, that my problem is that it goes hard-boiled yeah and stylistic like if you want it like let's say the way that we were talking about fat city and boxing yes if he had done the same to this movie yeah like it just take the stylistic it's out 1950 of it. give him a break yeah but like it's even for 1950s this is like over the top hard boil is like when he goes in and like <laughs> your man gives him shit about the money he's like don't get past on me you know like the, have a drink have a drink sticks have a drink oh god and then you have like the the prostitute with her heart of gold her name is 
dull and yeah but also like i think that the, the other part i think of the movie is that it's so clearly shot in los angeles mm. and it's not meant to be there you know like the, the the part where they show like a little bit of the uh the city uh when it's like location work it's great when they're in the streets or whatever it gives the sense of place but so much of it is inside the studio that i think that is mm. doesn't give you that that kind of sense of the the asphalt jungle the way that in fat city it does that you feel that you're within these like decrepit kind of yeah almost rotting city uh also i I found it quite funny in the end of the movie that uh he manages to drive (laughs) from near cleveland somewhere (laughs) to kentucky I just thought of the doctor's just like, he won't make it a mile. And then it's like... He Dix makes is, it to Kentucky. He's like, fuck you, I'm going to see those horses. And then dies before he can even like... But even like... Oh, poor Dick. Was it Rafifi that like it ends with him driving the, the kid in the car trying to get uh, the yeah. kid? Yeah. That even there, like that sense of... Uh, uh, like at the end, this is a B picture. There's something that obviously... Um, uh, I'm comparing to movies that were much bigger budget and stuff, but yeah. even stuff like Out of the Past or whatever. It's like I think that movies that embrace, the, I don't know, like the if you're gonna go hard boiled, yeah, you're setting it in a world that is just there, mm. you know. Like this movie is a bit, I don't know. It's in the middle. I I can't quite put my finger on it, and perhaps it's because I like the killing so much, and because Kubrick does something like he does the same idea that is like the working man, the, mm. but it's so much more messy and crazy and like not glorified in got, a way. Could have gone for more craziness than this, I think definitely. That even like Gus, the the driver or whatever, like we don't get a car chase. Yeah. But I'm not saying that you needed the car chase, but like you, there's a lot of setup that doesn't pay off. Even the double crossing is not really interesting because you know, a that he's not gonna get away with the double crossing. You know straight away that he's gonna be double crossing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like comparing even like with Ocean's Eleven, yeah. even though you know most of the plan, and I know this is a movie that is way after. But I don't know, even something like Casablanca mm. that is from before this movie, okay? That Casablanca. Heist movie. <laughs> yeah, but Casablanca has a heist. Mm. The heist is the people because they're trying to, to get the people out of there. They're the trying heist to. heist is the people. Like, they're trying to steal Laszlo, Victor Laszlo, out of Casablanca. Uh-huh. Like, the, the, that's the, the heist, let's say. And there's so many crosses and double crosses or whatever. You never know where the characters truly stand. Mm. Even Rick, you don't even know where your main character stands in the situation. Yeah. And that makes it, with, when it comes to double crossing, a lot more interesting than this. That is like, as soon as they get him, memory goes, I'm going to double cross them. Mm. And as soon as he says that, you go, uh, not going to end end well. And because there's this movie, it's like somebody's probably going to, like, of the good guys, quote-unquote, is going to get a little bit fucked, you know? Like, I think that maybe, like, if you're going to do it the way that the movie was done, it, it, it was, like, more of a procedure on the side of the police as well. Mm. There'll be, like, 50-50, but, like, the, the police are not given the time, like, for character study kind of thing. Mm. But you don't know how much the police knows. You know how they go, like, oh, yeah... 
the characters find out what the police know as soon as the police do because they're like terrible apparently that is like oh have you seen this man we know the you know like you know, instead you know of, you've seen him you saw him in my club <laughs> yeah and that side was really interesting that's what i was meaning uh talking about like uh uh, uh the departed because it has that kind of culture that is like the cops mm. and the criminals and when you cross that line kind of thing that it's the the line that the professor says is like oh uh, uh, the only cops i thought they were okay uh live long enough to go straight to go straight or something like that so i don't know sorry uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about <laughs> not that i've been rambling Okay. Um, no, it's funny. I, I kind of know what you mean. I don't know what it is. Because everything you're saying, I'm kind of agreeing with. You know what I mean? That like, I know this is not perfect. And it's not just because it's got one of the worst freaking Brenda Monroe performances ever in it. Um, but even if I was watching it the last night, and I was like, I know Rickard is going to have a problem with this. But I don't know. I kind of like... Not that you were, I knew you weren't going to hate it. You yeah. know what I mean? I just, I was watching it and I was like, I know this film is flawed. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I, I think as well because we've done so many heist films. And I just, yeah, I, I kind of, I liked how it sort of slotted it in my mind. And I was like, yeah, I, was like, I still want to talk about it. Because <laughs> I did think, I was like, maybe I should change my choice. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, no. I feel like, you know, because in a way, the point of the podcast is so like not just of like oh maybe you might like but like because even from your introduction of everything you said there i do feel like this is still something that kind of needed to be slotted in there like, yeah like you know uh, i'm mean? glad that i saw it yeah, it was a blind spot kind yeah of kind of so and like it's obviously you do that for me a lot and even for movies and then from... again i have to say that my opinion seems to be the outlier out there like asphalt jungle is regarded very well regarded as not yeah but like that doesn't matter um <laughs> there's been plenty of highly regarded movies that i've hated so it's fine i uh, well, you didn't hate it obviously but you know what i mean it's like I, but no i i there's even uh because we've talked about this about like classic films as well and how whenever you haven't seen them and then you go back and you watch them i'm trying to think about the example i have this in my head and you go back with your even more modern cap on yeah. and you watch them and you go like this is a film that I kind of thought, because I went to look up when I was like, it really is really, really, really well regarded. Because I knew, like, this is obviously a classic. Yeah. He's a classic director. This is, you know, this is an important movie for a lot of reasons. But I went back and thought it was kind of funny because obviously this is being released by the Criterion Collection. It's been, it was actually, uh, I'm pretty sure it was on Philip French's classic DVD list and stuff. Like, it's been restored and reappraised. But at the same time, there weren't really a whole lot of new reviews of it. So. This is the the sorry for interrupting there. Yeah. Uh, the the film that I uh, I thought that I compared the worst to. Yeah. That we've done is Pick Up on South Street. Because that's actually w- that's the movie that is like studio movie actually, everything. Yeah. But it's really it does the underworld part. Yeah. The the the, the cops the reactions the whatever. Movie. Whenever I was writing the feckin' um what was I writing. I was I can't remember what I was thinking about this now because I was trying to think of all the movies that we'd done that were either linked to this either past or present and that I knew there was another one and for some reason whenever you were talking about um the uh that actor he plays Dix as well it made me think of what do you call him what, uh, Richard Widmark yeah Widmark 
for some reason, I don't know, because they don't look similar, but there's something kind of similar in there. I don't know if it's their voice. There you go. Is that also their Richard Widmark kind of is a lot more, like, um, volatile than, yeah. uh, than Sterling Hayden. Yeah, kind of thing. I don't know why he made me think of him. That's funny. I couldn't remember um, I couldn't remember the movie then. Cause like, that's, God, that's a good while to go now. But yeah, that's actually, it's a good comparison of even, like, of people who are kind of fated of the fatalistic nature of them, like never being able to escape and the kind of circular like notion of poverty and criminality and everything. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm glad that you still, like, I, I think it is, I understand what you mean as well, but like not being able to pinpoint exactly why it is that you weren't completely won over by something. Cause I know whenever that happens and you're trying to like, cause I think for something like this, that is so broad and so connected to so many other things yeah. that it's kind of like, in a way, your brain can't sort through it because there's so much baggage. It's a, it just felt like a classic three and a half stars out of five film. You know, that you go like, yeah, Aww, no, but like, I mean, that is like, there's nothing wrong with the movie. But I think even um, as in like Hollywood, I think that the, the films that are really drawn, perhaps this is like something completely personal, but the films that I'm really drawn by at the time mm. either have a... Uh, like really like big personalities let's say another john houston movie that i love is the african queen uh with humphrey bogart and Catherine hepburn mm-hmm. which you can't get to bigger personalities in the movie and also like fucking the backstory of real life that they were like shooting in location in africa which was unheard of at the time mm-hmm. and for the most of the movie fucking john houston was just going off on his own trying to kill an elephant going <laughs> hunting like that there's like even a uh, a, a movie that Clint Eastwood plays a fake version of John Huston like doing the same thing it's like Black Heart or something like that the name of the movie random uh, but like, so he has been played by somebody yeah well like, he's also play acting in a couple of movies he's in the other side of the wind uh, the Orson Welles movie but like uh, John Huston's big uh, most famous performance is that he's uh, uh, the the villain in Chinatown guys smoking the cigars oh i knew that i think but the thing is that that it's either movies like that that is like hollywood classic hollywood big Mm -hmm. or if it's b movies are the ones that uh iconoclastic that's why a big fan of sam fuller and pickups on south street because Mm. he was like so against the system but he had to operate within the system that like mm. th- there was hidden messages within the movies kind of thing you know like uh, yeah for some reason you're making me think of the third man as well and yeah. like of the sheer presence of Orson Welles yeah that like he dominates the film even by barely being in it but then is the if you think of the third man there's so many like memorable shots never yeah. mind like and scenes and stuff like that and also like location that is Vienna and stuff it's coming out of the so, yeah, so that's what I think is that like when I like like a studio picture it's like giant you yeah. know like fucking put James Dean on it and like <laughs> ham it up like Rock Hudson <laughs> James Dean there Aww, you go Rock Hudson. you know like even what was the, the other movie with Rock Hudson that we did that uh, was kind of like the oh um seconds seconds yeah the uh the seconds is a movie that i thought that it was incredibly more flawed than this movie as a movie yeah but incredibly more interesting and memorable even it's though we couldn't remember the, the the thing because it is not only budget crazy but also that there's a message within it you know yeah. like uh, i think that like that it is 
not subservient, uh, like a, what you call the kind of message that is kind of radical, um, but underground kind of thing. Oh, subversive? Yeah, that it's a subversive movie, even in like Parallax View and stuff like that. Like it's, uh, they're, they're, like that's what I, I am drawn to. Either like big Hollywood, like Gone with the Wind. It's like, I don't care that they're Confederates. There you go. <laughs> because it's big Hollywood. Like I know that the message is going to be this, capitalism this is great. Enough, Fuck it. This wasn't enough of one or the other. Yeah, like it's, the, it wasn't like, it's just a good, solid but even other film noirs or whatever because film noir usually especially at the time most of them were anti-fucking mccarthyist kind of ideas and mm. this movie is not even that like you know like the lady vanishes and shit like that that is like about the like the uh, pandora's box and stuff like it ends with the end of the world and shit like that you know like you, you want like that's what i want from hollywood and then, that's why i love like something it's, like robert think, altman's uh uh, the big the big sleep yeah uh, because uh it's getting the ideas of like pope and putting it into new hollywood and it makes it like so much more interesting let's say but it's straight till you know mm. it's uh i think in a way this movie is sort of damn not well like in or discussion here of your opinion of it it's almost like dem- like damaged by the fact that it's american if yeah. you know what i mean because like just it being French or being Italian or whatever. It, I think this comes with like, not that I'm saying that like, you know, oh, that, that gives it an, you know, an excuse and that the language paints over it or something. But it's more of like being of from the era that it is and being very much of the genre that it is, I think. Well, like is that France and it's Italy not, it's didn't not enough, have... It's not about it being, it's not about even it being a heist movie necessarily because it's... But part of it is because... French and Italian and European movies at the time had a personality. Yeah. Is that Hollywood pictures in general didn't. They're like, they're conveyor belt cinema. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no way, like even as a great director, somebody like John Ford was, whatever, can't direct three films a year and not make fucking duds. And even they used to go, I f- like, these are not like for them or for me kind of thing. Is more... Oh, I just had to rush through this one so I can get to the one that I want to do kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I'm not saying that Houston is doing that here. Uh, like, famously, MGM gave him a lot of control in this movie, etc. Yeah, it doesn't feel conveyor belt, like we had to say. It doesn't feel conveyor belt, but it doesn't have the uh, quirkiness. The, like, like just the, the, the fact that, like, in France and Italy, they didn't have enough film stock to shoot, to get coverage or whatever. And it just becomes, like, really weird action scenes, you know? Like, <laughs> you can imagine, like, Sterling Hayden throwing that punch a few times, you know? Like, in the in the French version of this movie, that, like, the guy threw one punch badly and, and they- it's in the movie. Like, you know? I don't know. Like, it's kind of, like, this kind of straddling part of cinema history that it's not quite great filmmaking mm. but at the same time it's like enough takes or like if you compare this to something like hitchcock or something that, like vertigo or mm. that it just has a personality that i felt this movie didn't have and it's, it's something that i haven't felt before watching a john houston film that's mm. why like oh, it was the biggest uh, surprise that's that i had i think it perhaps it's because it's the first time that i like even with the Maltese Falcon or the African Queen, they're like very quirky movies in mm. themselves kind of thing. 
and i think that this is a little bit more straight kind of you know you can maybe yeah i think you also definitely came to this with a lot of expectations i think yeah well, which, <laughs> well like but of, yeah not that i yeah i don't think that's a bad thing i just but again if i had watched this without the context of the podcast i wouldn't be displeased by it I'd be like oh the like the 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 way that I put it is that I would have watched it, no regret watching it. Like if I had just put it on by myself, yeah, uh, w- with Alex and go, okay, we watched this movie and that's it. But I wouldn't be like the next day going to somebody. Oh, I watched the Asphalt Jungle. Mm. The way that like if I watched other of these movies, like the like fucking Pick Up on South Street was like stuck in my crawl for like years, you know, like. <laughs> um well <laughs> yeah what's your favorite thing again I, I i do agree with you i think it's dicks and gus uh mm. i think that like the movie would have worked out a lot better if it was them against the the world kind of thing that like yeah. they're part of the plan but we like i think perhaps is that the movie perhaps thinking about it the movie's pitfall is that there's no point of view character mm. So, like, you're in a lot of scenes that people are not, other people are not. So, you know more than the characters do. And, like, mm. I think that there would be, like, uh, like for example, if he couldn't trust the professor. Yeah. Because you don't, like, of course, on the second view, you know the professor was straight with him or whatever. But here it's, like, from the moment the professor comes in, it's, like, oh, he's sound or whatever. You know that he's just, just like, he has his moral code. The network is going to backstab them, but you know this or whatever. But if you're just following dicks and it's not like you never know where he stands, the way that he would feel. Mm. But he can always have Gus in his back and prop it up, let's say. Uh, Considering that this is an adaptation, maybe that was in the book, maybe it's not. Mm. But like, again, is that I think that like I would have preferred just a movie about them kind of thing. Yeah, because like, yeah, like uh, that that would have been great. I love Sterling Hayden. Like what I was saying of putting somebody else in the movie is just because of the rest of the movie. I, I prefer <laughs> fixing the movie in a way that we can have Sterling Hayden in it. Yeah, you know what I mean. But there's a reason why Sterling Hayden is not as remembered as like even his hammiest role in Doctor Strange Love <laughs> is very scary because it's down to earth. He was a very kind of intense actor, and I really like that but like it's intense in a very like loki kind of thing loki (laughs) is that your least favorite thing uh no my least favorite thing i think by a country mild is uh marlon monroe i think that like she's absolutely fucking grating in this movie (laughs) and like to think i don't understand why she's there i don't understand why she's in the film because she's the so bizarre you're just like there she is there's marilyn like the yeah. the other is just frustrating bad character writing yeah. or whatever, but, but like she's, she's fine. just trying to do yeah. like with nothing do nothing with nothing. But like Marilyn Monroe is like actively impulsive like like disgusting. <laughs> I don't know. Like you know, like even the way that she talks like you know, like how like it's the soft affected voice yeah, yeah but like it sounds like she's doing the whole like happy birthday mr president for the entire movie you know like that happy birthday mr president you know it's like a fucking we've christina aguilera tried to sing act or whatever we've gone back hey no burlesque is amazing um 
<laughs> it was also on Netflix for a very short stint there. I would recommend that you look it up. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I did. Marlene Monroe was terrible. I wouldn't quite go so far as to call her disgusting, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm glad, though, that you did um, eke some enjoyment out of this, despite going from, yeah, to, like, disgusting at the end there. But- oh, yeah, like, uh, again, it's, like, I always... Like, it's, like, I, I'm very fascinated about the history of Hollywood and stuff like that so like it was a good opportunity also to get a, like a few things like random things that I pick up along the way like, you did have a lot of factoids this week that was fun yeah like uh... <laughs> cool well you know that was Oswald <laughs> Jungle you should look it up um, don't listen to Ricardo it's a masterpiece it's not a masterpiece but it's, it's great <laughs> it's great uh, Ricardo where can they find us they can find us on Facebook The Recommendation Game and Twitter at The Rec Game and The Recommendation Game on the Dublin Digital Radio Mixcloud uh, you can find us our email The Recommendation Game on gmail.com and you can listen to us every Monday 11 to 12 Dublin Digital Radio Next week's film is your pick. What are you picking? Uh, and it is my last pick for a while, so I'm picking Brief Encounter by David Lean. Awesome. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Until then, I was Orin Lewis. I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.